0: It was our trombonist Sarah came up with the name. But if you don't know, the word "theodicy" is actually a pretty tricky term, and it's basically the problem of evil. So if you imagine a triangle with three corners, God is all good, God is all-powerful, evil happens in the world. And it's been called God's greatest problem, because of those three things, one of those three things can't be equally true. And people say, OK well evil is real. Unexplained, un- unjustified suffering is a real thing cf the entire world right and then you have to choose okay which of these two are you going to hedge on god's power maybe god isn't all powerful maybe god gives free will or god's goodness maybe god isn't at all times good and lots of theologians for all kinds of reasons have played with that triangle and have explained themselves into all kinds of tangles my personal feeling about it is like what would you say to a kid whose mom just died I don't think you could say anything, actually. I don't think there's a way to explain away unjustified, unexplained, undeserved suffering. And I actually don't think that we should try. Um, I was talking about it with Simon. and He was talking about how once you think you might have solved the theological problem, somebody else starts suffering. Somebody else gets a cancer diagnosis. Somebody else gets in a car accident. Somebody else wrestles with it again. And once again, we don't have an answer to it. And maybe something about God's truth can be revealed in suffering. I think that in when there can be holiness in times of of trial, but it's tricky to explain that too, right? So my personal feeling is you can't explain it, and you shouldn't try. It's not a head question. it's a heart question. it's a faith question, right? And it is God's biggest problem. And for me, in my theological work, this is the one I still this is the nut that I have not cracked. I, I don't have an answer to it, but I do think that music is one possible response to you not an answer to not a solution to but a response to the problem of suffering right because gathered with your community singing songs of justice and joy and liberation and also of lament we are reminded that we serve a god of justice and of compassion who calls us to make this a more fair more beautiful more just world so to give voice to this question of theodicy we wanted to invite you to stand and sing this opening song, which is the text Kyrie Eleison, which means Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, set to the tune of Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. And we'll talk about why we made that pairing after we sing it.
1: So it's an unusual pairing, right? Motherless child and Kyrie eleison. Andy gives some great priestly pastoral examples. Yeah, feel feel free to be seated. Um, of, Of how we face pain and injustice in the world. And Andy gave those great personal one on one examples because Andy is a great pastoral priest. I am not. I work in higher education, and so when I think about this question of pain and suffering, I don't actually tend to imagine the personal story of the parishioner who has lost a loved one. I instead am encountering, I live in Jackson, Mississippi, and I work in community engagement. I look at the problem of evil as these systemic questions of how does this evil keep perpetuating itself over and over and over? And furthermore, how am I complicit in that perpetuation? There are systems of injustice all over the world. And we have paired the text Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, with an African-American spiritual. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Finding mourning and being lost in that complicity, I think, is a question that plagues all of us as we begin to grapple with the ways that many of us benefit from systems of injustice, right? I was born to parents with a college education who set up to inherit a huge family farm in Nebraska. That's not fair right? When I look at my neighbors now in Jackson, they definitely aren't set set up to establish and and inherit a huge farm. Furthermore, the color of my skin, the level of education, I have all of these things set me up to unjustly benefit from these systems. And so one of the things that Theodicy is doing by pairing the sounds of jazz music The words that we've sung for years and years and years in these beautiful halls with stained glass windows is troubling the waters, right? We're saying we are sorry, and how do we deal with the problem of injustice and pain in the world? Because while Andy gave that triangle, right, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's suffering, there's injustice, and God is all-powerful. But Jesus, at the core of his message, right, was that God is powerful through us. God is waiting for us to act with God in the face of this injustice. And so one thing that we do as Theodicy is bring in the voices of those who have not necessarily had the same privileges of us. Stories of, uh, that have been sung for generations, first sung by faces and names we don't even know because they weren't written down. We can't give credit to the person who wrote that song because we don't know who it was, right? And so, but we want to raise up that voice and honor that story. Stories that aren't ours, we don't own these songs, we don't own these stories. But we think it's vitally important that these stories become central to our tradition. Which is why theodicy's sort of tagline over the years has been, expanding tradition without abandoning tradition. We love tradition. I mean, Andy is a priest, and my favorite services are the ones that invoke the medieval chants of Hildegard von Bingen, right? We are not people who want to toss out tradition in the name of just what's innovative, what's new. What I think is interesting is we aren't actually doing something that innovative and new. We are resting in the tradition of jazz, and jazz has existed in the church for a really long time. Um, And I've made a career out of saying uncomfortable truths, so I'm going to keep doing it. It just hasn't existed much in mostly white churches, right? That's a hard thing to say and a hard thing to grapple with, but a question worth raising as we in our culture right now, central to that suffering we are facing, is racial injustice. And any of us who live in the South know we, we can't have an authentic conversation without, without dealing with that. And so I think it's, um, the Odyssey's mission has, has been how do we put voices in conversation right now that are struggling to be conversive with one another.
0: So this question of how to innovate faithfully. um, New doesn't mean good, bad doesn't mean old, right? Some of the things that we have drawn upon are the songs we learned when we were little kids, right? Um, When my dad was dying, I remember singing, how much is that doggy in the window? when he couldn't have a conversation anymore and he was like tapping his feet, you know? I remember singing jingle bells and not that we were gonna sing like the hymns of the church, you know, he didn't remember those. But he did remember Amazing Grace actually. But this, these stories, these songs, these nursery rhymes, the, th- the songs we sing become the theology we call in in times of trouble, you know? And so the words and the text and the theology that we are empowering our congregation to sing deeply equip or not the people of God to call on God in times of trouble. It's like our prayer vocabulary, you know. So we're really committed to the text of what we sing. And also the music that we sing so that the congregation feels invited to do that. One of the questions people often ask is, okay, well, you know, you play the organ, there's a choir, why would you want to do something different? Because there's a really strong, especially in the Episcopal world, I'll name this, people are afraid it's going to be sort of bad band, no rehearsal, right? It's going to be like guitars and a PowerPoint, and like, who wants that? We're not a megachurch, right? Um, and so there's a really strong resistance. I don't know if you have felt some of that, but in, in, in my world, um, there's a really strong like a, you can feel like knuckles clenched around like don't lose the hymns you know and so we're trying to say like we don't want to lose the hymns they're amazing like i grew up on them they're the, the songs of my faith you know but is it possible to expand them without abandoning them so for example this morning we did that great tune the the tune name is earth and all stars you probably remember the great Herb brokering tune like loud boiling test tubes right and athlete and band and you know it's a great hymn tune. It's kind of a funky text, but then we paired it with a different text and people know that tune, right? And so everyone's sang their hearts out, you know. Um, the example I'd like to look at together is this uh, psalm setting. So this is this is the Anglican, simplified Anglican chant that we sang at nine o'clock and we'll sing at eleven You'll probably recognize it. It's Da 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 And all we did is change the harmony underneath it. So your, your work is the same. The accompaniment is different. And actually, this is the work of music in the church, and it has been for centuries. Right, Our tradition is, in fact, one of innovation. If you look at Bach, there's this great picture of Bach looking kind of sideways at the organ, and you can imagine what kind of chromatic harmonies are going through his mind. And his People didn't even like his, thi- his music at first because it was, quote, too chromatic. There's a tritone interval, the augmented fourth Maria, right that's the, that's the tritone people called it the devil's interval because of Bach they were so annoyed with the way he was using it except now you hear it and you're like oh well that's just what chords should do it's like it's like they couldn't handle it before Bach you know so our tradition is one of innovation so I invite you to stand and sing this setting of Jerome e.
2: believe, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff,
1: they comfort me. Feel free to be seated again. Thank y'all. Y'all are lovely to sing with, by the way. All morning I've been thinking, okay, I'm going to take all of them back to Jackson with me. Uh, That would be great. Um, I love that reharmonization, right? It it allows us to keep doing the things that we're doing, but by bringing in a new voicing, which is what we call it in jazz, by bringing in new voices, we can interpret and and understand the things that we've always been doing in new ways. It doesn't actually... Limit the power of something, it, it enhances it. We still love the original Meacham, but now we have this new insight as well. One of the other sort of lines that, theod- that theodicy blurs um, is that line between secular and sacred, right? So, what we did last night was play a lot of the same songs that we're doing this morning at a concert, and a jazz concert belongs on Saturday night, right? But it was happening in a church. And this morning, we belong in a church on Sunday morning, but do two different kinds of saxophones? These are the questions that, that we get. And you know, and the irony is I never sang jazz in my whole life until I met these guys. I met them at the Yale Institute of Sacred Music, and they, I had fallen in love with the Yale Gospel Choir. It's amazing. And they heard my voice and saw that I was sort of liturgically interested and thought she might be able to do what we're, what we're thinking of trying and It's been history from there. They taught me to fall in love with jazz. And so there are people who say, how can you sing jazz on Sunday morning in an Episcopal church? It doesn't sound like church. For me, jazz only sounds like church. I don't listen to jazz in other contexts, right? And so it really does depend on how and where you use things. So when we think about the relationship between secular and sacred, what is secular, what is sacred? Sort of the most traditional definition of sacred that most scholars use is that sacred just means set apart. In all religions, when you use sacred, that is the common thread. Sacred means set apart from the mundane daily activities of life. Brushing our teeth is not sacred, right? Going to the grocery store is not sacred. Now, these things could become sacred if we set them apart and consecrate them and make them rituals, right? But that line, we really have agency in that line between what is secular and what is sacred. And a lot of times people see you bringing things that they interpret as secular into the church and they worry that the sacred is going to go away, right? But what if it's just the opposite? What if by throwing the doors open wider and tearing down the walls that hold us in these spaces— In fact, what we're doing is expanding the sacred. We are sanctifying more things. Because the process of joining theodicy has made jazz sacred music to me. And if it can do that musically, how might it do that in our communities? What questions might might we be able to raise? What acts of mundane kindness might we be able to infuse with the love of God, right? And make those things sacred. This is... um, one of the things that really uh, sort of motivates the work that I do in Jackson, um, I see it all as sacred, right? I see the public school advocacy work that I'm involved in as a sacred act, equal to taking the Eucharist, right? And it doesn't diminish the power of the Eucharist, but in fact infuses it with greater meaning. And I love that that's what a lot of y'all are doing here. You're, you're considering what is our role in this city, given our location, given the various needs and questions that we're facing, and how is our own liberation and our own experience of God bound up in the liberation of our community and those in the community who are hurting most? And I'm really grateful that y'all are asking that question.
0: So I'd like to tell you a story about my, my world in Washington. Um, it's just a city that I didn't know about until I got there And one of the things that I've learned uh, Dr. King gave his last Sunday sermon from the National Cathedral And um, Last year we actually broadcast NBC had the reel-to-reel recording of Dr. King at the cathedral And they found it like two, two weeks before Dr. King's uh, annual celebration in January And so we actually projected like a 10-foot image of him the screen was at the pulpit. So he was our preacher for the day. And what was amazing about that, um, you know, we all know I Have a Dream and Letter from Birmingham Jail, but he was a prolific writer and thinker and just brilliant and so incisive and not afraid to say hard things, right? And if you changed just a couple of historical references, like, you know, which president and which war, like he was talking about Vietnam, right? Like you could literally preach that sermon for word for word today. It was incredible. And one of the things that I felt deeply moved by in that is that like saying hard things, having difficult but important conversations has always been dangerous. As you watched his face in that sermon, you could see him scanning the crowd for assassins. You could see his eyes, because he knew about the death threats. He would die three days later, right? You could see him tired. You could see him not afraid to speak the truth God had given him to speak. And so I just want to offer a word of gratitude and encouragement as you consider what it means to be in the city for the city. Don't shy away from the hard conversations. Have them. Because there's incredible love and connection and compassion and belonging that happens from those. Dive deep. The water's cold down there, but there's truth in there. And that text wait in the water wait in the water god's gonna trouble the water has continued to resonate with me as troubling the water is not an easy thing you know it's 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 not a safe thing by any stretch it's actually incredibly dangerous but god calls us precisely into those troubled waters where the kingdom of god is not and that is the apostolic mission of god right god sends us it's the story of god god creates god sends jesus to show us the way of love and then jesus gives us the holy spirit who sends us to be god's church god is ascending presence to go where the kingdom of god is not yet and as Anne said so beautifully and as others have said ours are the hands with which god loves the world ours are the eyes through which god will see the world ours are the voices through which the the world will hear god's truth and if not us who and if not now when I invite you to stand for our closing song.
1: Y'all who heard that, um, that last postlude, that Vidor, other organists who also love tradition as much as we do have said to us, you know, don't touch Vidor. Why don't you leave well enough alone? We love this piece. And, and I get that, and I hear that, and it might be sacrilege what we're doing. But I want to raise the question that musically, as well as in our communities, um, is it well enough? right? We love this tradition, but we come in, we have hard conversations, and we don't leave well enough alone, because is it really well enough?
2: invite you to join me in thanking Theodosy Jav for their ministry amongst us this morning (laughs) as promised I'm going to whisk them away to be ready for the prelude but please do um, catch up with any number of them any one of them there's a good eight of you here this morning I think it is around that number uh, after the 1115 service thank you for coming